Welcome to the Padang Sessions. In this episode, senior curator Seng Yujin and researcher Ko Guanghao will discuss the art practices of cultural medallion recipient, artist Cheng Xiaotin. They will take us through Cheng's multidisciplinary practice spanning across the fields of visual arts, literature, and music. A warm welcome to everybody and especially to Mr. Ko uh, for joining us today. We're going to have a kind of a discussion with Mr. Ko. Um, the approach that we're going to take today is actually um, to take a chronological uh, approach to look at Shoktin's practice, um, because we think that it's important to give a kind of more in-depth, um, to provide a more in-depth understanding um, of her works. Um, well, the title today is Frames Within and Without um, the Art of Cheng Shoktin. Um, I'll be explaining a bit about why um, we have chosen this title, which is actually taken from her um, solo exhibition. Um, but a bit about the artist, I think Seoktin, um, some, I mean, most of us will probably know her mostly as a printmaker, perhaps. Um, but today, I think we want to emphasize um, the different aspects of her practice and how really uh, multidisciplinary she is, um, not just as a printmaker, um, but also as a sculptor, um, she's also you know, very adept at drawings. Um, she produced um, installations as well. Um, also as a writer, she has published so many books, um, even as a songwriter. Um, so later on, we'll play her, her, um, the song that she wrote the lyrics for. Um, so really multidisciplinary artist in, in the truest sense of the word. Um, and today we'll have that opportunity to share with everybody um, this aspect of her, her practice. Um, just a bit about her biography so that we, we have a good sense maybe for our friends here who don't know her so well. Um, so between 1977 to 2015, she has had over 34 solo exhibitions. That is a really amazing number for any artist. Um, and of course, over 100 group exhibitions. Um, she obtained two master degrees, so one is not enough, she had two. Um, from New Mexico, um, State University and the University of Iowa majoring in printmaking, which is probably why many of us know her as a printmaker, primarily. Of course, she was also a lecturer at um, La Salle College of the Arts teaching printmaking, and uh, that really cements her important role um, in, in printmaking. And she was conferred the Cultural Medallion um, in 2005 and awarded a Women of the Year by Her World magazine in uh, 2001. Um, so, and, and in 1988, um, unfortunately, due to an accident, you know, it resulted in her visual impairment. But that, that never stopped her from continuing her practice as an artist. But it was a struggle. And Mr. Ko, being such a close friend, I'm sure we'll, we'll be able to talk a bit more uh, about that. So we wanted to start with a quote from Shoktin since we are unfortunately not able to um, have her today. And uh, this is a statement that she has put out you know, herself. And, and, and I quote, The world today is a chaotic one where traditional morals and social order have collapsed, and people are obsessed with materialistic pursuits and gratification of the flesh. Both natural and man-made disasters, violence and bloodshed are on the rise. Greed, hatred and folly have infected humanity to an unbelievable point. A modern intellectual warned, if humanity ceases to resemble itself, then the end of the world is here. The only way to stem the tide is to purify the human mind 
which can be achieved only through religion, art, and philosophy. However, religion in its extremist form is an even greater evil. The same goes for art. If the innate nature of an artist is warped, obsessive, and absurd, he would be deviating further away from the truth, goodness, and beauty of art." Unquote. So we, we get a sense that this, the morality you know, of the artist, the ethical aspect of an artist, is so critical um, to his or her practice. I think this is something that Sokhtin has practiced her entire life, not just as an artist, but as a person. Uh, so a very humanistic um, perspective to her work is necessary in order to understand it um, fully as well. Um, as promised, I will now just quickly toggle over to um, another set of slides before we start off proper um, to explain about um, the title, which is um, frames, frames Within and Without. This was actually her exhibition at Atelier Art, um, and uh, we have taken that title for today's in-gallery conversation. Um, and Mr. Ko has very kindly um, prepared the slides that shows you know, her works that were installed um, as part of this exhibition. So you can see the frames is important, which is why this is a metaphor that is very important, I think, mainly for our discussion today, um, how humanity and you know everyone, we are all bounded by something, some form of conventions, some assumptions that, that we take without questioning. Um, and it's really important for Sokhtin, and I think she reminds us that we need to break uh, out of these boundaries. I think that's um, the crucial um, aspect that she would want to share with us. So um, I think this title is really apt uh, for our in-gallery conversation today. And um, we'll, we'll start off, you know, really by looking more closely at Sokhtin's works um, in a chronological way. And maybe this is also where um, Mr. Ko can also come in to talk about, especially her early works, uh, looking at even in the 70s. Yeah, Mr. Ko, could I say? Um, yes. Uh, I prepared uh, some of the images uh, according to her uh, practice from uh, early days at the Nanyang Academy of Fine Arts. And so, uh, basically, she she did part-time Sunday class at Nafa, uh, 70 to 71. Uh, and I realized that she always uh, mistaken it as 71, 72 <laughs> in, in her CV. So I, I verified with the registrar of Nafa. So she graduated in 71. And so these are some of her uh, drawings. And she also did uh, uh, oil painting uh, and watercolor as well, landscape. Uh, and of course, uh, she started uh, uh, rather uh, her art education in the UK uh, in 75. Uh, if you know the story behind how she got to to study in UK is uh, she actually wanted to study uh, design uh, and she applied to Birmingham and uh, was rejected by Birmingham and Mr. Tang Dao was uh, sort of a 
final year student at Birmingham. And Mr. Tang saw her portfolio in the office and then uh, realized that she was a good artist. And then Mr. Tang wrote letters to, uh, to Ms. Chung. Uh, they were strangers. <laughs> and then and they, uh, Mr. Tang uh, advised Ms. Chung how she should reapply to another college, which is uh, St. Martin, and to do her foundation. So Ms. Chung followed uh, Mr. Tang's uh, advice, and that's how she started her proper art education at St. Martin in 75. So if you go back to the last slide, yes. Uh, the, the green painting is uh, before she, uh, she went to UK, which is Potong Pase. Some of us remember Potong Pase having that farm, yeah? <laughs> and now it's completely different, yeah? If you drive past the place. Uh, and then the, the other one is uh, actually dated October 6, 1975, her birthday. <laughs> yeah, so it's the first, uh, first probably second month in, in the UK and then her experience with the underground system and she did a collage, yeah. Uh, sh sh Shall I continue? Yeah. <laughs> um, after, in fact, I, I uh, learned about Miss Chung when I was working in the National Museum Art Gallery in 1986. So Ms. Chung was a, a returned sort of scholar, artist, and then she was uh, employed by the new LaSalle College of the Art. And uh, she, would, she was the, uh, the new lecturer for printmaking. And uh, that's how I, I uh, learned about her. And can we go back to my slides? Yes, we are going to switch between uh, the slide prepared by Mr. Singh and then, what, yes, okay, this one. Uh, yes, correct. Yes, correct. So in '86, I, I learned that this uh, artist, Tung Sok Tin, and then she was the new lecturer at LaSalle, and then in '87, she she had an exhibition at the National Museum and uh, uh, of her works that she did in the, in, in the States. Um, the, the, the two master degree that uh, Mr. Singh mentioned just now. So from 81 to 83, she studied at uh, Univers University of New Mexico. And then 83 to 85, she studied at University of Iowa. So, uh, this exhibition uh, entitled uh, From Water Series to Float Floating World. So basically it's to account for what she did in, in those six, six years or five years, yeah? Five, yes. And, and we got to know each other and uh, Ms. Chung asked me to help her photograph some of her works as well as uh, posing she posing next to her painting. Then you can see uh, she's rather big, uh, big size her, her works then. 
can we go to the next one? Yeah. And Ms. Tung became a very active um, visitors to the National Museum Art Gallery. She will bring her students, uh, including Amanda Heng, if you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, Vincent Yao, also her, her student, uh, Dana Wong, yeah, uh, and so you can see that Miss Chung uh, was guiding a tour of a exhibition. I think it was. Uh, some German prints exhibition, okay? So, uh, can we go back to your slide? <laughs> yes. So, I think it's good that uh, National Gallery here, that they have the works on display and they have sessions like this, sometimes by the artists themselves. Uh, they can provide a little bit of context to uh, how the works was created. And uh, so, Ms. Chung, um, after finishing her one year foundation at St. Martin, um, and the story goes, <laughs> Mr. Tang Tao uh, advised her to continue uh, her uh, to study uh, in the UK, and then I think he recommended how University, how College of the Arts then, yeah? And yes, Ms. Chung uh, enrolled in how College of the Arts, and uh, from 76 to 79, and she majored in printmaking, right? So these are some of her early prints um, from 76 to 79, you see silk screen, uh, the the one full, which is triple happiness, and Miss Chung, she uh, she is a writer first in uh, it, using the Chinese language. She writes first, and then she she published her essays in the magazines and newspapers. Uh, I have a sort of a. A bibliography of Miss Chung, which I did in 2009, she has herself has written at least 50 articles, yeah, for the local newspapers. Yeah. And so, being a Chinese writer, you can see some of the motif from calligraphy and the Chinese writing appear in her works, right? So. Uh, Let's go to the next one. And, and actually, Mr. Ko, just to, to yes. interject a bit about her writing, because this is something interesting yes. about her very interdisciplinary practice. And, you know, she has a writer, now printmaker um, as well. And, and of course, printmaking and writing are so connected anyway. Um, and we talked about humanistic, you know, kind of uh, foundation to her practice. Um, it's just selective in a kind of text that she, she uses, um, like certain, you know, sayings or certain kind of um, uh, kind of like moral kind of maybe some 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 ways of kind of live, ways of living our lives that kind of phrases that I use is this something that she, she will sometimes use in, in, in yeah I, I think uh, uh, she has used different texts from Chinese classics <laughs> um, to you know very common uh, Chinese New Year <laughs> uh, wishes you know uh, it, it changed right but of course, uh, some of the uh, it depends on the 
um, worst situation. For example, in the 70s, uh, uh, there is the uh, Cultural Revolution in, in, the, in China, uh, uh, 60s to 70s, yeah? So s some of the uh, works, if you, uh, if you see, if, like, you can, okay, back. If you, you can see some of the early prints, um, not this, but um, there are texts related to the Cultural Revolution, right? Uh, yeah, so you, you need to know a little bit of what, um, what the meaning, the meaning or what, for example, snake, sir, you know, gui, uh, ghost. So there are single characters that appear in her collage and, and the prints. So you have to decipher. Yeah? Uh, snake could be a ear of the snake, could be, you know. So, but all depends on how much you understand uh, the social or political background uh, when she created the works. Yeah? And of course, subsequently, after she lost her sight, she, uh, she studied uh, Buddhism and uh, so there are some Buddhist thinking that appear in her work, uh, sometimes through the text. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So yes, you can see in '79, uh, as a student, uh, she also worked um, during her uh, holidays and uh, she would travel by train and then she would uh, enjoy <laughs> the scene through the window and then uh, she would uh, include a poem uh, and then she would also include uh, some scenes in the window. So you can see the top one has nothing in the window and then the subsequently she added a, a collage uh, of images, right? And as a expatriate, <laughs> she called it, I mean, Yisiangke. Uh, so one, I think one has to know a little bit of Chinese literature, um, Chinese poem, Chinese philosophy, to really enjoy her work. And I'm from an English school background, so my Chinese improved. Uh, Slightly, by helping her with uh, typing, typing her from her manuscript, we have to sometimes myself, sometimes some of her friends help her type uh, uh, what she wrote before they got published. Right? So, of course, I got the chance to check dictionary. <laughs> yeah. So this, uh, I, 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 I enjoy helping her. And of course, I can appreciate her work much better. Yeah. This is really exciting because yeah. um, I'm, I myself am not so familiar with uh, photographic works. I mean, I saw some recently at her exhibition, solo exhibition at the Arts House, and she showed some, showed some of them. Yes. Yeah, so I think it's really interesting because she's always with a camera. Actually, earlier mentioned like, um, like taking photos. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. After, um, in 2005, uh, basically, 
uh, I had a residency with P10, which is a, a young collective of a, a group of young artists, right? And they had a space near uh, Little India, and they call it P-10, P-10, okay? And uh, part of my residency is to help organize Ms. Chung's uh, material to propose her for the Cultural Medellin. And then uh, uh, Mr. Win Tin Wei from P10 nominated her for the Medellin. And so that's how we start to, to gather her, her materials. And then, this, then we also realized she was also interested in photography. Uh, not just black and white, but also colors, color photography in slides form. And uh, this one is uh, in, I think is, uh, uh, do we have a date here? No, okay. I think it's also, yes, yeah, during the how period. Um, and according to Miss Chung, yes, she, she was using the dark room of Mr. Tang Dao in London, and uh, um, she processed, she printed her big black and white pictures. So the one that we saw, which is a, a context sheet, right? So it's actually uh, a sculpture, uh, a hand made of clay. Uh, I think it was fired clay, so it's ceramic work. Uh, ceramic hand, and then she would have different objects to match this hand. So, like a dictionary, or you know, with other painted or printed hands, sometimes with nets. So, if we enlarge all these individual images, you can see that she she experimented. She played with this object, uh, uh, this hand, right? Uh, and then with other other things that she want to match, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she has several of these contact sheets in in her collection. So, after, um, when I when I uh, started to organize her her, her materials, uh, a lot of discovery, a lot of things that we, I never know before. And, but because many of these materials are not dated, right? So it, it takes uh, some effort to decipher them, right? Um, let's see. And actually, Mr. Ko was about to, I'm yes. sure some of you might be asking, <laughs> there's a book, right? The hand's holding a, a book, isn't it? Um, of course, we, we don't have stocked in here to explain. Can I add one story to one book? Uh, you know about the book? Well, um, in her account, Ms. Chung wrote about her, her studies. Her early uh, books uh, are about her, her study days in the UK as well as in, the, in America, right? And uh, of course, through conversation with her, she, uh, this is from at St. Martin, her first year, right? She actually attend class with a dictionary because 
she was Chinese educated in Singapore from Chongqing High School. And you can imagine uh, studying in the UK and having uh, um, British professor or lecturer speaking in, <laughs> in a British accent that you may not be familiar with, right? And, but that's how she learned, right? So the fact that she was a Chinese teacher for 10 years in Singapore at Tanjong Garden Girls before she, she went to UK to study art. Uh, so in, in her teaching days, there are exercise book on translation. So there are news cuttings that she tried to translate. So there are this kind of material that, that I found, found in her, her archives. Right? So all this helped me to relate to uh, her learning in the UK and then the subsequent works, right? Yeah. So books, um, yeah, so it reminds me of the dictionary, right? And the next one, please. Yes. Yes. Uh, Ms. Chung has forgotten about these two works, basically. Uh, but um, I reminded her that she has these two works in her collection, and then we uh, printed a set for her recent exhibition at the art house. And then uh, she finally gave a title to, uh, to these two works, which is, this is uh, not her title, <laughs> hands with rice hanging, right? It's just when you do not know what is the title, you just try to describe it. <laughs> right? And then Ms. Chung cannot see the work herself clearly, so you have to describe to her. Yeah? So it's almost like a dis the description rather than the actual, the actual title, right? Um, but then she re remember a little bit about these two works, refugees. Uh, Indochina, they have nothing to eat, right? So this book shows rice falling like rain, and then these people raise up, you know, to receive almost, you know, this rice that fallen from the sky. Yeah. Uh, the the one on the well, if you if you. Uh, if you're familiar with Miss Chung uh, and notice her, her hands, her fingers, um, she has done one uh, drawing called Printmaker's Hand in 1988. It was her hand with black uh, ink right, as printmaker. Right? And uh, one story is that she worked part-time in a, in, a, in a Chinese away uh, and she never had time to clean her fingers then the children of the takeaway shop uh, say in in China, in Cantonese if you understand Cantonese why your why your hands are so dirty <laughs> The fact that you know uh, printmaking is very messy, 
dirty. You need, yeah, you need time to clean up after uh, you work in the studio, right? So, but she didn't have time. She had to rush to do her part-time job, which is a takeaway place. <laughs> so, but this one, if you recognize, it, it was her hands. So, Miss Chung has forgotten these two works, but it is obviously her own hand, right? Her left hand. And then the rest were uh, done through darkroom montage, right? And at the background, there's actually like refugee camp, right? So if you're trying to see this work in, in, in this actual, you can see more details. And uh, Ms. Chung graduated uh, from Hao, major in printmaking. And can we go to my slides again? which is related to this, this works. Okay. Um, so she came back in 79, and she had the first solo exhibition at the National Museum Art Gallery. Yeah? And uh, uh, some people couldn't understand what, she, what her work was. Uh, very dark, very black, <laughs> very abstract, and uh, and anyway, so um, uh, 1980, she went back to the UK. This time through a scholarship, uh, the first scholarship uh, offered by the Singapore Arts Council, I think. Yeah, Mr. Tio Hanu, can you? I, yeah. uh, before the National Arts Council, we had the Singapore Arts Council. Yeah, so I think she got the first uh, study award, and uh, to to study print. And this time she went to Hansi School of Art. Yeah, and that's where she started doing the Kim Cham series. And as the story goes again, she was uh, using the kitchen of Tang Dao apartment. <laughs> and then she was tr trying to cook uh, some chop chai, you know, using the dried day lily, jing chen. And yes. And uh, no, yes. Yes, before, before. Yes. Uh, anyway. So the Kim Cham series had started during the time at Hansi and then staying at, uh, uh, again, Tang Dao's apartment. In fact, many artists has stayed in the apartment in the Islington. I myself stayed two, two weeks. Lee Wen has also stayed there, I think, at least two years. Right? So it's a very important place in London. Maybe next time become a heritage site. <laughs> okay. So anyway, Miss Chung um, started her Kim Cham series, uh, and the rice. Yeah, and she hangs also mushrooms. Uh, unfortunately, her studio was at the Alexandra Palace, her print studio, and there was a big fire, and then most of her works were destroyed in the fire. So we don't get to see uh, 
the works during this period of time. And because, stay at the Atelier 17, yes. Because she had a one-year scholarship from the Arts Council, and, and the fire happened halfway through the scholarship. And so one is to return to Singapore and to, uh, I think she was on study leave. So another option is to continue to, uh, with the scholarship, but this time she decided to go to Paris, the Atelier 17, which is a famous printmaking studio in Paris, uh, started by William Hayter. Yeah. And uh, so during this half, half year, she did a series of at least 10 or 11 pieces of copper plate engraving. So she, she just used a sharp knife and, and draw on, onto this copper plate and then ink and then uh, print. And these were actually illustration for a, a book by a Hong Kong uh, poet writer, Han San Pi. And uh, uh, it was also featured in a, in, in a magazine, the whole series. So they are, I think, yeah, <laughs> what my, my finger, yes, smaller than my palm. Yeah. But they are uh, quite, uh, quite typical of the Atelier 17, very clean line. Yeah, if, you, if you know another Singapore artist, Ng Ju Heng, who also studied in the same uh, and spend longer time at Atelier 17. Yeah? Uh, they have similar kind of characteristic, very clean lines. Yeah. And so after the uh, Atelier 17 uh, and, 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 and the, and the one-year scholarship has ended, she came back and she had a second solo show at the British Council. So she showed the Kim Chum's work and uh, works that you know, she did in uh, 80, 81. And 81, so let's think, what happened in Singapore in 81? Or rather 80? Nanta has closed door, Nanyang University, right? Um, in 1980, merged with Singapore U to become NUS. Um, so it somehow affected, affected her because she was teaching Chinese and then she took leave to study art. She could, she could have gone back to, to teach Chinese or start teaching art. Right. Then, anyway, she, she, uh, I think, uh, through introduction from her, her lecturers at the uh, Atelier 17 in Paris, uh, she went over to the States, uh, the uh, New Mexico yeah, State University, and she said, "It's a place that the hens don't lay eggs." <laughs> So it's remote part of in America, 
yeah, New Mexico. So it's close to Mexico. <laughs> a lot of deserts, right? So yes, Miss Chung took many photos of the landscape of this uh, uh, this uh, uh, place that she she continued her her print making. Yeah. Uh, so in her in her archive, there are many interesting color slides. Uh, of landscape of cactus, of the uh, in, uh, American Indians uh, folk culture. So she also contributed a few uh, articles to at that time it was Nanyang Shangpao, yeah, uh, about this uh, what what she experienced in in uh, New Mexico, yeah, and this. Uh, do we have another image? Yeah, if you are familiar with I Ching, uh, the Book of Change, uh, Miss Chung said she learned about I Ching in America <laughs> as a Chinese in Singapore. Yeah, uh, it's uh, one of the Chinese classic. Yeah, uh, so she actually learned about I Ching through English. And then eating became her a tool sometimes for fortune telling. Yeah. Anyway, she developed a series of work, eating series, which is collected by uh, then the National Museum and now is in the National Gallery collection. Hopefully, you can see some of the works in the future display. And uh, they're so popular that <laughs> they're not money left when she came back. So the museum practically bought most of them, yeah. And so she also did a floor piece uh, because it's like 64 this uh, combination, right? So I'm not an expert in eating, but there are many pos many combinations that you can uh, you can uh, you can combine, yeah. And she make them into. Uh, Objects like mini sculptures, but then in her graduation piece, I think she yeah, it was it's a floor piece, yeah. And subsequently, she turned it into a collage, which is also collected by NGS. Uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, this is also eighty-two, right? So eighty-two men in the net. So those who are familiar with Hong Kong TV series, Zhao Yunfat, Wang Zhongren, yeah, Man in the Net. So she was inspired by, by uh, the drama series as well. But she, basically, she was inspired by the Mong Nong Si, Miss Mong Nong Si Ingai, Mr. Tio Ingai, Zemelfani. The Chinese uh, poet called, called Beitao. Okay. Misty, misty poem. Okay. Uh, basically, one of his famous poems is just one word. The title of the poem is Sunming Life. Guess what is the one word poem? 
Wang Net. So this is the famous poem by Pei Tao, inspired Miss Cheng to make a series based on net, men in the net. Of course, I mentioned about the Jolin Fat's influence as well. So she herself stood behind this screen. So she's in this, in this uh, installation, right? Through a screen, right? Uh, she liked to mix things with strings as well. So it started in the UK with the kimcham, with the mushrooms, with the rice, and then she continued with feathers, with pebbles, right, in, in New Mexico. And let's see. Yeah, that's the collage piece, which is in the national collection. Hopefully you can see it in the future. So you can see that um, out of frustration, uh, uh, the piece is, in, in fact, it's bigger than this canvas. It's a drawing on paper. It's calligraphy, you can, if you can see. Yeah? A lot of calligraphy, uh, which is almost on the st strings. Right? Yichuan Yichuan the sufa. So she continued uh, some similar motif she started in the UK with, with the kimcham. So, in fact, the daylily, we call it kimcham in Chinese <laughs> uh, dialect, yeah, became human figures in her subsequent uh, works. So you can see that her more recent works with paper, yeah, wires, uh, they came from, first came from this dried daylily, yeah, and then, uh, some of this calligraphy also become human like yeah human like form yeah and of course she she did many things uh, paper making as a printmaker especially printmaker usually make their own paper right so she has a series of handmade paper artwork that none survive in her collection probably too much to bring back to Singapore. <laughs> and uh, you can see she was inspired by the windows and the doors in New Mexico. So she, there's also many color slides that she took of, of, of all these um, very old, very interesting uh, design of windows and, and uh, door, right? And she also used handmade paper to create some of these windows and doors. And then she went on to, uh, after New Mexico, she went on to uh, University of Iowa. Again, it's also through rec recommendation from a professor. And she started, she, Iowa is apparently a very cold place. <laughs> and her, uh, her studio is just next to the Iowa River. And, uh, that's where you can see many water motif and also snow in her works during this period of time, yeah, 83 to 85. And in fact, she, uh, she said she was advised by her professor, uh, Professor Lazansky, Argentinian, okay? Uh, I repeat what Ms. Chung said. <laughs> 
Professor point to her head. You, you have many things in here. <laughs> yeah, but focus on something. <laughs> yeah, so it's not exactly what, what he said, but something like that. You're very, you have many ideas, but uh, for the MA, for a master degree, she should focus. Then Ms. Chung decided to focus on water. So, this is also in the national collection, flowing, right? And she, she would first draw water motif with pencil and then with Chinese ink, and then turn them into etchings, right? And we go to the next one. Uh, yeah. So the water motifs evolve into fabric um, work as well. She has some very large fabric work, uh, taller than this ceiling. Yeah, but this is a smaller one. This one is uh, using bleach bleaching. So it's a reverse. Uh, it's a black cloth, and then she will use the acid, the bleaching agent, to remove the ink, the black ink. So it's almost like tie-dye. Yeah? Okay. And uh, if you can see, if you have tried to see some of her works with water and uh, some faces, right? So the faces were actually um, also responding to the refugees. So the refugees, the boat people, and the water. So you can see, uh, sometimes there are people struggling in the water or dancing on the water. Yeah. So this is Miss um, Chung's. She she draw a lot from her days in uh, in the Singapore, right? Um, Art education in Singapore at NAFA, at TTC, which is the Teachers Training College, and also private lesson with artist Yo Hui Bin, and then to to the UK to the stage, she always draw, right? Uh, of course, the live drawings will appear more in the UK and the America. Live drawings never happened in Singapore at that time. <laughs> Too conservative, yeah. Means new drawings. And uh, we are preparing a, a drawing show for her in July at Esplanade. So, uh, you get to see many of her never show before drawings. Yeah. So, but this one from her uh, graduating years at Iowa, you can see on the right side there are different image of women, right? From very classical Chinese, <laughs> the one with the yeah the Chinese. On uh, the, and the, the top one, yeah, with the the top uh, bun, Gudian yeah. <laughs> and then uh, she wearing this uh, when she graduated, she will be wearing this Fang Mao, yeah, and then this one is uh, pulling her hair, <laughs> right. And 
Ms. Chung, after graduating from Iowa, she was actually going to Israel, to Haifa, to teach. But they didn't offer her a, the travel, the ticket. So she decided not to go. And then she ended up in Hong Kong, working as an art editor. Because of uh, her writing network, uh, especially with the Hong Kong magazines, and she finally ended up working with Sun Lian, a uh, publishing company. Uh, and then she started to edit art books, right? And, it, and in 86. And then the story is, she came back to renew her visa in order to continue working in Hong Kong. And she ended up at British Council. She went to the wrong place. <laughs> she should be going to the British High Com, but she ended up at the British Council. <laughs> right? And there at the British Council, she met a, a lady from Singapore, and they chatted. And this woman said, oh, you are so well trained in art. Why don't you go and meet the principal of this new college, Brother Joseph McNally? So this woman brought Miss Chung to see Brother Joseph McNally. And according to Miss Chung, Brother McNally said, exclaimed, God send you. <laughs> So, Brother McNally uh, convinced Ms. Chung to remain in Singapore and at the same time, the, uh, at the time, there was, I think an American lecturer was leaving the post and then Ms. Chung became the head of printmaking. So that started printmaking as a major in the local art education, right? We know about woodcuts. Right? You can see the woodcuts in this collection, in this gallery, right? But woodcut was never a proper subject in, in NAFA. Yeah? It was done by the student themselves. Right? So the, the true beginning of printmaking is through LaSalle and through Miss Chung. Right? So Miss Chung started um, to teach printmaking as major subject. LaSalle only offered making as minor subject. Right? So it was very important uh, um, beginning for print education in Singapore. And even the newspaper wrote, <laughs> come back from local to teach <laughs> about Miss Chung. Yeah? And so, um, of course, uh, as Mr. Singh uh, uh, gave the introduction about Miss Chung, she lost her sight in 1988. So Miss Chung brought some of the students from NAFA to uh, to Europe to to learn, to look at museums, you know, and because she had so much experience overseas, ten years, so she was a dedicated teacher. So she brought students during the June, June holiday, and then she had an accident, chasing a bus, right, and. Then she lost her psych, and then uh, 
So after losing her sight, she cannot do her uh, her prints like in using acid. So she uh, continued doing prints with no acid involved, woodcuts, lino, and dry point. Right. So because she's very good in drawing, she can close her eyes and still draw, which is true. So she can draw, she can do an image on on the 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 wood block or the plastic plate for dry point. Yeah. So she 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 can continue to do prints. But of course, doing printmaking, if you know, you need to go sometimes go go to a press, right? So and also to register to put the plate, the image in on the right part of the paper. Right. So it's quite difficult for her without an assistant. So subsequently, she actually learned, or rather, she learned from the experience of French artist Matisse, who lost his, uh, he had a bad eyesight when he was getting older, and Matisse used scissors to cut his images, yeah, his uh, human figures. And so Miss Chung started to do the same. So you can see some of her, her figures of animals, uh, of uh, human figures are not drawn, but printed through, cut out. Yeah. Um, she used uh, factory waste is cut leather, cardboard, and then cut them into all kind of figures, and then ink them, and then make into mixed media print. Yeah. So uh, let's come to her sculptures. Yes. So yes, go back to the one that with uh, one more. Okay. So um, after losing her sight. Um, she was de depressed for a year. And uh, so basically, there's not much work from August, August 88 to mid 89. Yeah? She was feeling sad, depressed. But then uh, soon she, she faced a reality. She joined the uh, 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 well. She met up with people who have lost their sight. Right? I think we have some friends here. Yeah, uh, and she participated in the activity of the School of Visually Handicapped in Topayo, and then in that place there is a club called White King Club. White King Club is, uh, uh, and then Miss Chung would became the volunteer art teacher at the White King Club. And that's where uh, Victor Tan, you heard of sculptor Victor Tan, who used uh, make a very interesting and big wire sculpture, started doing uh, lessons under Miss Chung at the White King Club. Yeah? And Miss Chung also learned weaving uh, 
through the uh, school of uh, visually uh, handicapped. Uh, did I say the same correct term? <laughs> yeah. yeah. She used copper wire instead of rattan. Rattan, which is cane. So we, we all learned basket weaving when in primary school. <laughs> so Miss Chung uh, changed the material from rattan to copper wire. So some of the earliest sculptures are weaving, you know, like weaving basket, but then she, she turned them into crown. Yeah, and then she put the women inside. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so mixed media sculptures. Yeah. And then we, <laughs> yes. Then she, uh, this is 92 or 93, 93, yes. She got a residency uh, to, to learn bronze casting in San Jose uh, University. And uh, you can see, usually we don't see the market. We don't see the original materials that the artist used before the sculptures is turned to bronze, right? Here you can see she's next to, yeah, she's next to her, uh, the sculptures, yeah. Uh, I found this in, in the archive, yeah. Usually we only see the bronze. <laughs> And subsequently, I also helped her to bring her, her models market to Bangkok for casting because it's much cheaper and closer to, to Singapore than, you know, casting in, uh, in America, yeah. And uh, of course, you can see that the subject of Miss Chung's work, uh, slowly, you can see her own story, her experience, in life start to appear in her later works yeah um being yourself both from the blue you know it's dark yeah reflecting her, her life story yeah uh let's see but of course there are happy work as well there's not always <laughs> depressed work <laughs> yeah um Bangkok, yeah, that's, uh, I introduced my friend from Bangkok and then she, she got a commission for this elephant piece. So she physically molded the elephant with a bird on, on the trunk. Right, this, is, I think, was commissioned by Google Park, yeah, which is also into charitable work, Google Park. And you can see that uh, she started to exhibit uh, her installation work in this is Nokia 1999 at SAM. So after producing all these individual works, so she would group them into works like this, uh, Men of Colors and let's see, other works, Kim Cham. Yeah, and this is at the Sculpture Square. So. Um, as Mr. Singh mentioned, she has over t at least 34 solo exhibitions. <laughs> so she's actually, she's very um, versatile. She's very, uh, she, 
According to her, she doesn't want to repeat. <laughs> Although she's a printmaker, she dislikes repeating the same image. So you can see some of her prints. Maybe the bottom number, or the addition number could be 25. But in reality, she never complete 25 works. That's the rarity of Miss Chung's print. She disliked repeating the same. Although pre-making, she need to do additions, right? But many of her early prints, she never complete the series. Right? Actually, looking at her installations, um, we saw one in earlier 1982. Actually, that's that's yes. actually very early. For that's the Yiching right? work. Would that make her one of the earliest artists besides maybe Tang Dao stand installations? Yes, correct. Um, so, but if we say, because we are only familiar with artists who, are, who present a work here, right? We sometimes we do not know what our artists produce outside Singapore or during their study days, unless we have a chance to see their archive, right? Um, so I think it's very important that Ms. Chung has a good archive that we, at least myself, can, um, can learn and then Hopefully, um, other people uh, who are not familiar with her practice can, can learn more. And for example, especially, she started to use resin uh, for this mother and child series. And uh, resin uh, is a bit toxic, the fume. So if, you're, if you, she cannot handle the, the material herself, so she engaged a fellow artist, Chobun Ki and, and uh, Kai Lam uh, to help her with the casting. And then, of course, uh, she, Miss Sung would understand the process of most of the, um, the more technical challenge, you know, uh, uh, procedure like bronze casting. Uh, this one is uh, using uh, silicon rubber to cast the resin. And uh, let's see. Um, so uh, we go back to 1993. Um, Professor Tomiko introduced very special arts uh, from America, which is a organization that do, uh, that work with uh, disability. And uh, so the first time in Singapore, we have an institution or a association for people with disability to do art. So very special arts, it's, uh, it's still very active. They do dance, they do music, they do visual arts. So the recent exhibition at, uh, of Miss Chung at the art house was presented by the very special arts. Right? So Miss Chung was, um, also a volunteer uh, uh, in some of the very special arts event, but she also was the artist that very special arts um, would uh, present her in some of the international visual arts, uh, uh, very special arts events. So she would write about those events for, uh, in the newspaper as well. And then one of the events is actually uh, Watabushi Music Festival, which is also started started in Japan, which is a mu music uh, 
writing competition. So Miss Chung started to write uh, lyrics. And I think she has at least 20, uh, 20 compositions. And can we see? Yeah, this is the writing part. And then, yeah. Uh, go to my slides, please. Yes. So Miss Chung would appear now as a songwriter, <laughs> not just a sculptor, not just a printmaker. Ah, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. So, and the first famous composition is Step, Step Out of Darkness, My Friend, yeah, which was sung by Kit Chan, Chen Jiayi. Hang on, Mr. Ko, we, we've got it. We've got a song, so we're going to play it. Yes. So this this song uh, was covered by different uh, singer, including uh, Wawa from Taiwan, Chen Weilian, Project Superstar, right? And apparently, it was also played during school assembly. <laughs> but uh, next slides, please. Uh, she did not just you know wrote about you know, self pity and you know. Um, this one is 其实我拥有的还很多 uh, Yeah, uh, is, is the English title? But in fact, yeah, uh, what I have How to translate this? Uh, 其实我拥有的还很多 Yeah, yes, you lose some, you win some, yeah <laughs> Next one, please Yeah so uh, the composer for her her lyrics is usually um, Kelvin Kevin Kwa. Ke Guiming is now very established uh, composer. Yeah, and just briefly run through um, uh, what I mentioned just now that we uh, group of young artists we got together and. Uh, put her materials together and then propose her for the cultural medallion. So this is an exhibition after she got the cultural medallion. 30 years 
of uh, yes, of uh, artistic practice. So we go to a flat, we dig out all <laughs> her files. <laughs> um, she kept very good record of her, of her activity, yeah. Uh, and then this is P10, and these are some of the young uh, art scholar who came back from uh, Goldsmith, uh, Lim Kok Boon, Li Shijin. Li Shijin apparently is also now a art in art therapy, yeah. And uh, let's see next. <laughs> and yes, so. Uh, we organize her material and then we try to figure out uh, her her thinking behind some of her works, right? To so all these archival materials, yeah. And of course, uh, yeah. Move on, move on, move on. And then after P10 lost the space, uh, the archive came to my. Yishun flat to continue working for, for a project uh, called the Nora Project, which is National Online Repository of the Arts. Uh, selected cultural medallions uh, uh, are documented under this program. So I was appointed the researcher for this, uh, for Ms. Cheng's archive. Unfortunately, only five works are digitized and put online. Only five works, right? But fortunately, we have at least six hours of oral interview and then a 15 minutes video, right? Uh, 15 minutes video from several hours of footage. Yeah, so these, these are this kind of resources that we can use in the future, yeah? And then a bibliography of uh, people who write about her and also what she wrote about uh, art. So at least 50 articles that she has contributed. Uh, that makes her one of the more prolific artist writer. Yeah. Uh, and I think, yeah, just recall a little bit of the school days at how it's very cold. She often photographed herself in snow, in coldness. I never see a photograph of, of herself in autumn or in summer. Yeah. yeah Mr. Ko, maybe we yes. can have we some time for yes. question and answer yes. um, on the audience. So, be nice. It's uh, a lot. Have some questions to talk about Miss Chung because it's fifty over years of practice, and then her archive is also massive. And today is uh, a general, <laughs> and hopefully uh, you have questions. Then we'll hopefully, based on your questions that we do not how do not know how to answer, we go deeper into the research. Perhaps we can have um, maybe a couple of questions. Any comments? We have some people in the audience who know her quite well as well, so maybe it's a good opportunity to have a, have questions in the form of comments and discussion. 
Hi, I'm wondering. Um, I mean, you do uh, National Gallery Singapore has um, exhibited, let's say, uh, like foreign artists and all that, um, or or you know overseas. And then I'm I, I wonder. I mean, sometimes I see that on a on your ground floor area, um, there's some space. And uh, is there a possibility that like uh, that our local artists can get some uh, exhibition going on, solo exhibitions in National Gallery Singapore? So um, you know, trust me. Whenever there's a wall, we try to hang something. So if we don't hang it, something means that we are not allowed to hang, because uh, the walls are protected. Um, because this is a, a public monument building. Um, so whenever there's a wall, we try to hang something. Um, but you know, that's an important question because um, we are also rolling out um, our next phase of exhibitions, focusing on our second generation artists. Um, so as, as you probably noticed, we have focused a lot on our uh, first generation, uh, what we call the, the pioneer generation artists. Um, Chung Su Ping, you know, uh, Lim Cheng Ho, and later on next year, Georgette Chen. Um, and then subsequently, we're going to focus on our second generation artists. And, and then we'll, of course, move forward um, to cover more of our Singapore artists. So that's in the pipeline. And um, that's coming up. And of course, you know, um, our Singapore gallery, we actually do a lot of rotations. So every year, almost 20% of our works are changed within the Singapore gallery itself. Um, so things works have been rotated many times already. Uh, you might remember doing inaugural, it's actually a different work. Um, so we've been changing as well. So that's also another way that we are, we are giving more exposure to our Singapore artists. But we recognize that the solo exhibitions are really, really important. So if you imagine, uh, remember we started off with Iskana Jalil, then we had Chua Ike, um, or Lim Cheng and so on. So we're going to move really uh, into the second generation coming up. Um, so have a, we, we ask for your patience because it also takes time for us to uh, prepare the research. And in fact, um, talks like this, the in-gallery conversations is really useful for us as well. Um, we record it, and that's also part of our research as we prepare um, for, you know, um, subsequently, you know, the second generation artists to, to have their solo shows here. Over 40 right now, over 40 works. But I must say, uh, most of the works are pre 1990s, some post 1990s. So that there are many gaps that we need to fill because. As we mentioned earlier, um, her practice is so interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary as well. So um, there's a broad range of works that, that we have to kind of work on. So we are currently looking into that as well um, to, to work with the Singapore Art Museum to look into an acquisition of her works to fill whatever gaps that we currently have in our collection. I, I think that would be good because um, artists, I mean, uh, I would like to see uh, artists as a whole, you know, and, and uh, their abilities in the different, uh, going through different, in different forms or medias, like uh, sculptures or uh, uh, prints, installations, yes. Uh, because I'm reminded that our first, uh, sorry that I deviate, but um, the one at, Pom is it Pompidou? Yes, um, oh, at Pompidou. You mean the Latif Mohidin? Yes, okay. yeah. I think a lot of us would, including the local artists uh, and also Ms. Chung, they were disappointed that uh, a Malaysian artist was sent for the, uh, in, the, in its first uh, in 
inaugural show overseas in Paris that, that this is a Malaysian whose uh, writings and whose artworks and everything, you know, was, was presented instead of a local Singaporean. So I think uh, that was really in conversation with um, Pompidou as well. So it was also dependent on which artists they were interested in. It actually came out from our reframing uh, modernism exhibition, remember our inaugural show. So we worked closely with Pompidou and uh, they, we, they also had a discussion with us about which of the artists they, they were interested to show over at Pompidou. So it's also really in discussions with um, the artists that they wanted to show as well. So of course we would have wanted to show a Singaporean artist, um, but I think in the end we were looking at it more regionally and Latif Mohidin is a you know, Malaysian artist, regional Southeast Asian artist. Um, and it also falls within our um, mission as well, because we also look at um, Southeast Asian art. So that's also part of the uh, mission and vision of, of the National Gallery. Um, but of course, when there's opportunity, we will definitely want to show uh, Singapore artists. I can't say who, but there'll be uh, a Singaporean artist who's going to be shown overseas as well. So just uh, keep a lookout for that. Any any questions from or comments from the, the public? Yeah, maybe Cole wants to add something. Yeah. I I was in uh, uh, in Taiwan recently, and uh, uh, presented something on Singapore and Taiwan artistic network, and Miss Chen featured quite prominently because uh, her parents were from uh, Kimmen, Taiwan. So uh, Ms. Chung was invited by uh, some of the Taiwan uh, museums, uh, rather a cultural center, uh, Kimmen, Xinchu, Tainan, and Kaohsiung. So some of these trips, I, I assist her. And uh, in, in one of the museums there, uh, the, the Taichung National Gallery, uh, what struck me was they have um, sign language on the monitor and also many of this artwork become 3D uh, for, the for the visually disabled. So it's very uh, interesting, I mean, to me, that the museum there uh, allow uh, non-visual audience to learn to encounter the so-called the masterpieces in the collection. So this may be NGS can look into that. I think that's really important. So we have a, a kind of looking into a whole, there's a group that looks at the community and access um, and how we can improve on the accessibility uh, of our works to, to different communities including those with visual impairment. So yeah, so that's uh, actually something that we are looking at. Yeah, thank you. Maybe we can have um, space for one more question now. Mr. Teo, do you want to say something? Uh, just like to make a comment. Um, the image that you showed, uh, you know, a photograph with hands putting up, you know, and in the center, there's a hand holding a dictionary. At first, I was wondering what it was, and I thought, could it be a dictionary? And as it turned out, as after you explained, and and that struck me very much. I and I think uh, that must have been a very deeply felt 
uh, work by the artist herself being in a foreign country, struggling with a language, uh, the dictionary was like a lifesaver. <laughs> and uh, I was also reminded of um, other artists like Guo Bao Kun, who when, when in prison, you know, he was, he was in prison, and he was teaching himself Malay, and he was holding on to a dictionary, <laughs> and he actually translated a play, Atap Genting Atap Rambia, into you know from Malay into into Chinese, yeah. And and when he came out, the play was staged, you know, in Chinese. And I also re I was also reminded more recently by by Li Wen. <laughs> uh, Li Wen. We know more about Li Wen, uh, most of us. Then later on, uh, I read more about Li Wen, and his father turned out to be a very a leading Chinese author. Yeah. He was you know, working in a newspaper, and he wrote extensively, and I have read quite a bit of his works. And I was also... Um, very intrigued when I found out that Li Wen's father, Lu Baiye, had, you know, had a pen name Lu Baiye, who was also a compiler of Malay dictionary, which, uh, as a student, as I grew up, you know, learning Malay, and it was like a lifesaver to me. So that image I thought was quite, must have been quite deeply felt by the artist, and also. Uh, it expresses uh, a common feeling that runs through uh, the whole generation of people, uh, people of her generation. I mean, I'm of her generation myself, you know, having to struggle with languages. That's all I wanted to say. Thank you. You have been listening to the Padang Sessions from National Gallery Singapore. Find more of our podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us for updates and new episodes every month. To learn more about our programs at the gallery, visit nationalgallery.sg. Our podcast team is Erica Lai, Mariel Chi, Ernie Martha and Tamaris Go from National Gallery Singapore. The music you heard is composed by Javon Chandra. I'm Joyce Chung. Thanks for listening.